So we continue our series today, Jesus Encounters, and perhaps you remember that in this series, we're looking at various people who had these life-changing encounters with Jesus, and we're, we're looking at them as a representative of, um, you know, a, a state of mind, a condition, a situation, something like that. So in other words, we're not just, you know, looking at the story as it is, but we're looking at um, how, how it would uh, apply to us and how the person that encounters Jesus uh, is, is representative of many, many people in our world today. Perhaps uh, we ourselves would find ourselves really identifying with that particular person. So today we're looking at a person that uh, I've just referred to them as the helpless person. We're looking at a person who uh, can't help themselves, uh, who ha- doesn't have anyone uh, available to help them, and in this case, a person who, in the end, doesn't even really realize what the root of the problem is and uh, what they really need. So we want to just sort of look at this person and apply that a little more broadly to ourselves or people uh, around us today. So I, I want to look at three things. I want to look at the scene, first of all, the, the background, the backdrop to the story. Then we want to look at the person, the man, the helpless man, and then we want to look at the Savior, Jesus, and his response to the situation. So the first thing that I want you to notice is the location of these events. Verse 2 says, now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. Now, Bethesda means the house of mercy. And so there's this pool. Actually, today, if you were to enter into the city of Jerusalem uh, through what's called today the Lion's Gate, and you just go a little ways up the street, and you come to uh, a church there called St. Anne's, and it's in that little compound, a walled-off area, a beautiful garden area, that the ancient... uh, pools of Bethesda were discovered. So today you can actually go and you can see uh, these pools uh, as not not as they would have been in their day because they're ruins now, but you can get somewhat of a picture of what a a beautiful spot it was at the time. So it was a a very beautiful area, uh, a porch, a colonnaded area with these pools that were Uh, probably like mineral baths. And yet in this particular place, it says that there were a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, and paralyzed who were there. So even though at one time it was a, a, a very beautiful place, at a certain point in time, it became this place for the sick to gather and hoping that they could be healed. That was, the, that was the, um, the belief at the time. And John tells us that 
there was the belief that an angel had gone down at a certain time into the pool, stirred the, up the water, then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. So just to clarify, that was uh, a legend. That was a myth. Uh, that probably didn't actually happen, but this is what people thought had happened. And because it was a, a mineral pool, uh, there were probably types of healings that might have taken place to some degree. There could have even been psychosomatic kinds of healings that resulted. You know, a person just in their mind thought, if I could get in there, it would change my situation, and it might have. Uh, but theologically, it doesn't make any sense that there was actually an angel that at a certain time went down and stirred the water, and whoever got in first got the healing. That doesn't fit in any good theological picture of who God is and how he works and what he's like. So I think it's much better to understand this, uh, that John is reporting to us that this was the thinking of the time. And it was the thinking of these particular people that were there. So this is the background. And as you can imagine, it's a hopeless and a depressing situation. So a great multitude, it says, of people who were infirm. So it's not a place that you would go unless you yourself were infirmed or maybe you had a friend or a loved one that was there or you helped transport them back and forth from there. But it's not a place where you would just go, you know, spend time. But yet we find that Jesus is there. And we find that Jesus is there because... What we know about Jesus is wherever there's suffering, wherever there's human need, wherever there's misery, Jesus is there. He's there not just to observe, but as we're going to see, he's there to help. So that's the setting. That's the background. Now, let's look for a moment at the man. So it tells us now about this man, and it says that he had an infirmity 38 years Think about that, 38 years, a long time to have an infirmity. The man must have been probably in his 50s or maybe 60s at this point. Why do I say that? Because we, we know from what ultimately transpires in the story that the man's infirmity was, was directly related to some sinful behavior. And so... We know that he wasn't born in this condition. We know that sin brought this condition on. So we can assume that this happened, you know, maybe in what we would call the teenage years or maybe in his uh, early adult life. But now this sin has left him in this infirm state for 38 years. And he's in this condition. And because of his infirmity, he is incapable of getting himself into this pool. So that's where we see he can't help himself. Not only can he not help himself, but he says in response to Jesus, as Jesus begins to converse with him, Jesus saw him lying there, verse six, and knew that he had already been in that condition a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool. So not only was he incapable of getting himself there, there, there was nobody that was willing to help him. I, I have no man. So 
Um, even though it was the, considered the house of mercy, it appears that there wasn't a whole lot of mercy being exchanged from person to person. It, as a matter of fact, what it tells us is um, there's no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I am coming, another steps down before me. So it's a kind of every man for himself situation. So there's no one to help this man. We see, again, he, he's a helpless man. But then we also see that he has a, a false hope, really. Because as I already said, this was a legend. This, was a, this wasn't a reality. People weren't healed of this kind of infirmity there. So he's hoping in something that is never going to actually materialize for him. So even if he could get himself into the pool he would then still be greatly disappointed because healing would not have come. So we see that this man is in a, a really desperate situation, plus he's just, his whole thinking is wrong. So he really is in a, in a hopeless, helpless state. And finally, we see about him that he doesn't even really understand the nature of his problem. He thinks that the nature of his problem is physical. So if he can get in the water, uh, he thinks he's going to be healed. But we know from the conversation Jesus has with him that the nature of his problem is spiritual. So this man, his infirmity was directly linked to his sin. Now that's not always the case. Uh, What we can say is that in an indirect sense, all infirmity, you can trace it back to sin because before sin entered the world, there was no such thing as sickness or death or any of that. So the existence of sickness, disease and so forth, there is an indirect relationship to sin, but we would never just automatically say, or should we assume that because a person is sick, it's directly related to some sin in their life. But there are those exceptions. There are those occasions when that is the case. And that was the case with this man. He was in the condition that he was in because of some sin that he had been involved in. So again, uh, he doesn't realize though what his real problem is. He sees it merely as physical. He doesn't make the spiritual connection. So we have the scene, we have the man, And now let's look at the Savior. As I already pointed out, we find Jesus is there. And like I said, this isn't a place where you'd want to go. And and if you just visualize in your mind the scene, a great multitude of of infirm people, uh, you're not going to want to go there unless you have to. But Jesus goes there because that's what Jesus is about. Jesus is about uh, helping the infirmed. Remember, he said uh, himself, he said, the, those who are whole do not need a physician, but those who are sick. And then he said that he had come as uh, a healer. That was what he had come to do. So he has uh, this conversation with the man. And he asked him this question. As the man explains his dilemma, Jesus says to him, 
do you want to be made well or probably more literally, do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made well? Now that seems like a bit of a strange question if you think about it. Of course he wants to be well, right? I mean, that's the whole objective. Get into the pool so I can be made well. But Jesus asked him, do you want to be made well? And, you know, here's something that we don't often realize, but it is actually the case. Not everybody who suffers or is afflicted, and especially when there's a sin connection to it, not everyone wants to be well. We, we assume many times that, well, of course they want to be well, but in actuality, many times people don't. Because their condition, their affliction, is oftentimes the thing that they use to manipulate, to make people feel guilty, to uh, get some sort of uh, emotional advantage in a situation. We, we see this kind of thing all the time. Um, I, I've had many dealings myself with uh, people on the streets, people that live on the streets. I, I hesitate to call them homeless, uh, even though they are, because uh, when I think of homeless people in the truest sense, I think of, you know, like a family or something that, I mean, they've literally just fallen on hard times and they haven't been able to make their mortgage or their rent or something. They end up living in their car or something. You know, when I think of homeless, I think of that. The person that I'm talking about are, are people that have chosen to be on the streets. They prefer to be there. Uh, oftentimes they're there as a result of uh, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, you know, things of that nature. And um, if you've ever had any up close and personal encounters with those people, you find that oftentimes they're very proud of the life they live. Uh, they feel very um, entitled. They see themselves as victims and they feel like you're responsible to uh, you know, do something for them. And so it's kind of a lifestyle that they've chosen. Uh, I've had many times where, uh, you know, people, you, you kind of reach out and you, you know, give them a little bit of money or something. I've had occasions where they said, well, that's not enough. Give me more. It's like, well, <laughs> I didn't know that there was a certain amount you required, you know, but it's this, uh, it, this weird entitlement thing. And then, you know, if you, if you would say to them, uh, hey, there's help for you. I, I remember years ago uh, talking to a person like I'm describing and telling them about the fact that Jesus could help them and that they didn't have to live like this. And the person actually looked at me and said, you know what? Uh, you couldn't live like I do. You're too weak. I, I'm, I'm really like, you know, I mean, he saw himself as some really extraordinary person because he could live on the streets and, and, you know, he could make it on the streets. And so it was a badge of honor. And when I suggested that you could be made well, you don't want to be made well. So that's my point. Jesus says to him, do you want to be made well? Let's not assume that everybody does. But in this case, of course, this man... He seems to want to be made well. But then, as we've already seen, he begins to tell Jesus about his plight, that he has no man to put him into the pool. And so Jesus says, rise, take up your bed and walk. Rise, take up your bed and walk. 
You know, this is a, one of the things about Jesus, and this is one of the, the wonderful truths that we still need to understand today. The Jesus who spoke these words to this man uh, 2,000 years ago, that Jesus is still uh, living today. He's still working today, and he provides for people today the power to do what he commands them to do. Now, think about it. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. The problem with this guy is that he can't rise. That's his problem. He can't do this. But Jesus says, do it. And when Jesus tells us to do something, he empowers us to do it. You see, oftentimes we say those kinds of things. Well, you know, I can't. Jesus might be speaking something to us and telling us that, this needs to change, or he doesn't want us to do that anymore, or he wants us to make a step in this direction. And oftentimes we kind of come back with that response of, well, I can't do that, Lord. You know, that's, that's my problem. I can't do it. But listen, know this. When Jesus says to do it, you can do it because he empowers us to do it. He gives us the ability that we don't naturally have. And just as he did it for this man then, he does it for people today. When you have an encounter with Jesus, the living Jesus, it results in life transformation. It results in immediate um, work taking place in one's life. So Jesus says to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. He took up his bed and he walked. And that day was the Sabbath day. So, and again, this is one of the beautiful things that I want to stress about an encounter with the Lord. An encounter with Jesus always results in something beneficial for us immediately. There's, there's an immediate result. Now, the, the results aren't always identical. Even as we go on in some of the stories in some cases, the, the healing of Jesus, uh, there's, there's a little bit of a process that he takes a person through. Maybe you remember reading the story in Mark's gospel where Jesus, um, he heals a blind man. He, he spits and uh, he forms some mud and he rubs it in the man's eyes. And then um, he asks him if he can see. And the man says, I see people like trees walking. And so then the Lord touched him again and brought complete and total sight to him. What that shows us is that when Jesus touches us, instantaneously something begins to happen. But sometimes it happens through a bit of a process rather than everything happening just that very instant. But in this case, it is instantaneous. Jesus says, rise, take up your bed and walk. And boom, the man stands up. Rise, takes up his bed, and he begins to walk. And this is because, as I said, Jesus empowers us to do what he commands us to do. And there's nothing that is beyond his power. There is nothing that is beyond his ability to, to deal with. There's nothing that uh, he cannot empower us to overcome there's nothing that he will not uh, deliver us from if we want to be delivered. Yesterday, we 
were at the beach, as we know now. Uh, and throughout the day for the event that we do there, we have a different guys kind of on a schedule, you know, to, to get up and share for a few minutes with the, the crowd, the audience that's there. And um, I was on the schedule twice, and then three or four other guys were on the schedule throughout the day. Uh, but in the morning, I got a text from a friend of mine, and he said, hey, I'm going to be down at the beach today. My, my family and I are going to come down. And immediately I thought, okay, if he's coming, I, I got to open up a space for him to share. So I sent him a text back and said, be ready to preach if you come. And so he sent me a thumbs up that he would be. So anyway, he came down. And um, I, I gave him one of the slots that I was going to teach in. And the reason I'm telling this story is this story is an illustration of what I'm talking about here. The, the power of Jesus, when he gives the command, um, it brings results. It brings transformation. So anyway, um, I, as I introduced him to the, to the crowd yesterday, I started by talking about the the argument in the culture about, you know, science versus religion and how uh, religion and science are incompatible. And of course, science is, is right and religion is generally wrong and, and religion is unscientific. You know, we hear this all the time. And my contention is that, no, actually, if you think about science in the sense of experimentation and empirical evidence and things like that, uh, you can build a strong scientific case for the validity of the the Christian message. And the reason I say that is because if uh, scientific evidence is based upon, you know, repeated experiments and things that you can see as, as a result, well, we can look at millions of people whose lives, we can analyze their lives. We can do an experiment. We can look at millions of people whose lives have been transformed by one thing, putting their faith in Jesus. So to me, that's kind of like a scientific experiment. So anyway, as I was introducing my friend David, I said, uh, so David is to me, he's, he's living scientific proof that there is a God. And so I asked him, I said, hey, in 10 minutes, just give us a quick version of your story. And so he did. And here's his story in a nutshell. And it relates to the story of this man here because it's a command from the Lord and then we see the result. So his story is at the age of 21, he is in prison. He's been in, he's been in prison several times. He's back in the three strikes, you're out thing. He's in the, the second strike. And from the time he's 10 years old, he's now 21, he's been addicted to heroin. And so he's in prison and he tells a story. I've heard this story many times. It's a great story, but he tells the story of a man who's in prison with him who keeps sharing the gospel with him. And he just more or less sort of laughs it off and dismisses it and says, man, you sound like my mother. You know, you sound like, uh, you know, other people. I don't believe in God. I don't care. I don't, I don't want to hear it. And so the guy says to him, he says, okay, I'm never going to, I'm never going to talk to you about this again. And that sort of got him. He's like, well, why not? He said, well, you know, I've told you everything you needed to know and and you obviously don't have any interest, so I'm not going to tell you anymore. He said, but I'm going to ask you one last question. If you could ask God to do anything for you and he would do it, what would you ask him to do? 
and he thought about it for a minute and he said, if God could take away this drug addiction, that's what I would ask. And the guy says, really? So that's it. If God could take away your drug addiction, then you would believe in him, you would follow him. He said to the man, he said, you know what? If you could take away my drug addiction, I would believe in you and follow you. (laughs) And so the guy says, okay, well, that's it. What do you got to lose? So he went back to his cell, sat down on his bunk. He sat there and he said, God, if you're real, like this guy is telling me, like my mom thinks you are. If you're real, then I ask you to take away this drug addiction. And if you do, I will serve you the rest of my life. And if you don't, I never want to hear your name again. And he fell asleep and he woke up in the morning. And to this day, he's never touched a drug again. And now he's a pastor. And he... you know, has a ministry to people, you know, where he had been previously and all of that. But, but I look at that and my, my point in telling that story is that it correlates with this same kind of a thing here. The, the thing that he could never do was he couldn't break the drug addiction. And even though he's a drug addict, deep down, if he could, if, if there was anything that's what he would want to be freed from. But he couldn't free himself. And no man could free him. He'd been through all of the different programs that were available, as well as the disciplinary action of being in prison. But none of this could break that. But the moment he cried out to Jesus, that power was broken over his life. And just like this man, in a sense, he, he rose, stood to his feet, and he walked. And that's what happens, my friends, when we encounter the Savior. He speaks that word to us, and as we respond to that word, he gives us the power. So if you're here today, and maybe there's something in your life that, that you just cannot overcome, and, and no man has been able to help you. Maybe you've been through programs. Maybe you've been through therapies. Maybe you've been through counseling sessions. Maybe you've been through rehab. Maybe you've been through prison. Maybe, you know, all of those things. But you, it, this thing still has a hold of you. You see, the truth is, just like the, the water in the pool was really never going to heal this man, the truth is those things can't ever really do what needs to be done because our problems are not merely physical or uh, emotional problems. Our problems are essentially spiritual. And until we are healed in the deepest part of our being, which is our spirit, then we have no deliverance. But this is what happens with this man. And as we just kind of quickly follow through the story here. The man takes up his bed, he walks. And notice that John tells us, and that was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore, and the Jews are a reference to the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. The Jews therefore said to him, who was cured? It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to carry your bed. He answered them. 
He who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. Think about this for a moment, though. This is so often, this is religion. Here's the guy, and, and undoubtedly, he was recognized. And they see this man, and they see that he's walking, and he's carrying his bed. And, you, you know, they might have, some of them might have thought, hey, isn't that the guy at the pool that's been there all of these years? And what's he doing? He's walking. But that's not their response. They look at him and say, what's he doing? He's walking. He's breaking the Sabbath. <laughs> They're not amazed at the miracle that he's walking. They're angry that he's violating the Sabbath. This is how twisted so often religion can become. But as they asked him, who is the man who said this to you? Take up your bed and walk. He said, or, or John tells us, verse 13, but the one who was healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So Jesus heals him. He encounters the religious leaders. Jesus withdraws. Jesus comes back and notice what he says. He says, you've been made well, go and sin no more. So you see, this is where we see the link between his affliction and sin. It was some sin that he was engaged in that brought him into this crippled state. But the Lord heals him. And that's, that's what God does. Because you know, sin cripples us. If you're crippled in your life, if you're crippled emotionally, mentally, if you're crippled in relationships, if you're crippled in the sense that you're just absolutely dysfunctional and you just can't make it through life, well, you know how you got there? Sin got you there. That's what sin does. It cripples us. But Jesus heals us from that. But then he instructs us to go and to sin no more. To go and to sin no more. This is what God is in the business of doing. He's in the business of restoring lives. Broken lives. He takes them and he repairs them. And we can never forget that. And we can never forget it for ourselves, but we can't forget it for our family members. We can't forget it for our, our friends that maybe we're disconnected from right now. But, you know, because of that, that situation that they might be in, but we can't lose sight of that. But sometimes we forget. And sometimes, unlike Jesus, we want to withdraw ourselves from the blind and the lame and the paralyzed. We don't want to find ourselves hanging around at the, the pool of Bethesda because it's not a pleasant situation. We want to uh, get ourselves away so often from the broken, sinful people. But we have to remember that those are the very people that Jesus came to save. And, you know, in the end of the day, everybody is to some degree or another, in this kind of a condition. It doesn't always manifest itself in the same way. Here's a unique situation here. But in the end, 
whether, as we saw before, you're a person like Nicodemus, who outwardly everything is fantastic. You're one of the great uh, religious figures of the day, but it was all the same in the end. And so the gospel brings the answer and with it, the instruction, go and sin no more. Jesus gives us power to rise up out of our sin, and he gives us power to walk forward from strength to strength, no longer living in our sin. That's the the wonderful message of the gospel. It's a life-changing message. It brings life-transforming power. It's an encounter, as we're talking about, with God himself, the God who made us and the God who loves us and the God who died to save us and rose again from the dead and the God who speaks a word like rise, take up your bed and walk. And with that word gives us the power to do it. So Jesus, this same Jesus, he's here today for the blind, for the lame, for the paralyzed, and like I said a moment ago, if, if that is you yourself, if you sit here and you're identifying with this person, then he's here for you. If that's somebody that you know, that you've maybe lost hope for, be encouraged today that they are not beyond the reach of God. And remember, part of our objective in going through the series here is, is to stir our hearts with confidence in the Lord and the gospel uh, to cause us to reach out to others. Again, I refer back to the events yesterday down at the beach. You know, the area that we were at yesterday, we, we meet at the, this like, sort of an amphitheater thing. Um, on the north side of the Huntington Beach Pier. And uh, that has become a sort of a hangout for the kind of guys I was describing earlier that I don't like to call homeless, but, you know, the guys who live down there at the beach. And I, I'm down there pretty regularly during the week, early in the mornings running. And I see them down there and they're, you know, they're fighting each other and cussing each other out and causing all kinds of trouble, you know, seven o'clock in the morning. And it's, it's become sort of a hangout for that group of guys that are just sort of traveling up and down the coast and living that kind of a life. But you know, yesterday, as we were there, I saw a few of those guys sitting in the crowd. And when the gospel was shared and when the invitations were given, I saw a number of them raise their hand in response to the invitations to receive Christ. And if they were sincere, then that instant, that moment, Jesus met them with this power to set them free. And so let's not, let's not forget, there, there's nobody out there. You know, you might have a, a friend or a loved one, a family member in, in a place like that. I can think in my mind of, of people that I know that, that are in this kind of a place where they're, they're lame. 
And they've tried all of the different remedies to the problem. Nothing has been able to help. There's still hope because they can still, in just that instant, they can still open their hearts to Christ. And so let's, let's pray that they do. Let's continue to, to hold out uh, that message to those that there is hope and deliverance in the gospel. But I want to bring it back to home, to us. If you are in that place, like this man, then the question is, would you be made whole? Are you ready to do what Jesus says? Are you ready to turn from that thing or those things and just obey him? Are you ready to rise up and walk and to walk forward in a life of obedience to God? If you're ready to do that, then his power is here to meet you, to enable you to do that. Somebody asked me between services today, what's the difference between can't and won't? What's the difference? There, there are people who say, I, I can't do it. Well, a person who says, I can't do it is expressing their inability, their weakness. They're not necessarily saying that they won't do it. They're just, they, they can't see in themselves any ability to do it. A person who won't do it, that's a different story. That's a, that's a, a decision of the will. It's not a matter of I can't do it. It's a matter of I won't do it. Even if I could do it, I wouldn't do it. And of course, for that person, for the person who says I won't do it, there isn't any solution. But for the person who says I can't do it, Jesus says, you can do it because I will give you the power to do it. Rise and walk. Rise and walk. And like I said, God will raise you up out of the situation you're in. And as you rise and walk and as you keep moving forward and as you walk in obedience, you're going to find that transformation will take place in your life. You're going to find that where your life was once a waste now it is a blessing. Where it was once barren and fruitless, now it's, it's fruitful. You know, I'll just refer finally again back to my friend David. As I'm looking at him yesterday and I'm looking at his beautiful wife, his three beautiful kids, and I'm looking at this life that is just fruitful and it's, and it's blessed and it's restored and it's healed. And it's almost to the point that you would never guess unless he told you that that previous life was, was even his own experience. And I know that there are some in this room, you have the same story, you have the same, not identical story, but, but a similar testimony. And it happened because of that word from Jesus, rise and walk. And you just responded to that. And as you're walking in obedience with him, your life is being healed and blessed and restored and becoming fruitful and you have 
uh, become a blessing. You know, these guys were a menace to society. They've come a blessing, become a blessing to society. That's what Jesus does. And so wherever you find yourself today in any kind of blindness, lameness, paralysis, spiritual sickness, Jesus has a word, rise and walk. Lord, help us to respond to that word. Lord, I think of how you said in your word that there's a day coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and all those who hear will rise. And Lord, I know that that's a reference to the end of time when the actual uh, bodies of men come up out of the dust of the earth. But Lord, I know it's also spiritually, it's when you make a person alive again, you bring us back from spiritual death. And so Lord, I pray today that all those who hear your voice would rise up and walk. Lord, thank you that your commandments come with an empowering, that you give us supernatural power to obey your word. So Lord, I pray for anyone today who would be in a place like this. They can't help themselves. Nobody can help them. The philosophies, the theories, the ideas that they've been trusting in are powerless. Lord, may they experience your life-giving power today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.